Hello, I'm Angelina Pratt, your host of Empathetic Witness. Stay tuned. We have a amazing interview with Thiosin, Lakota, inspirational speaker, author, teacher, songwriter. I am recording from the unceded Algonquin Territory in Ontario. Without further ado, here is Tawasin. Okay, let us get started. Give you know your your origin story. Oh, my origin story. Um okay. I'm better watch tail Tanya watch Yanke. Chante washte na pe choose up yellow le chante itaha ovogalake le unkipiki he wash tailo tokahe to gashula. Um I'm better we ta wonia waka oyate ki wanaki tapo um better ki I want to say greetings and good day and welcome. My relatives, I shake your hands with a good heart. Mm. It's good for all of us to be here and look to the forever ones first. And let's acknowledge relationship to all of them and the life-giving force of the sun, the water, earth, all those relationships that have been awakened and continue to try to wake us up. And today is that good day to do that. And um um is my name and it means that he that I put everything before myself um myself last make sure everybody's okay first and then myself and in that way I understood life as as what you're giving to rather than what you're taking and I've been that way because that name was given to me by uh, an 80, 80, 83-year-old at that time when I was very young. Because that was the the, uh, the traits that I, the behavior that I exhibited and expressed. And so with that, I want to say that what's happening to, um, here is that I've been... I've been in through the, the educational processes and... I am very careful not to allow the Western mind to educate the wisdom out of myself. Um, and in that, the, the, the voice of those who can't be heard is earth. Is that as a native person, I don't want to get away from that. And because it's too easy to accept the conveniences of the Western mentality people who came here on ships. So out of that, there's many accomplishments, I guess um, I'm supposed to say. Um, it's a difficult because we don't really talk about ourselves, but we're, we're talking to um, an audience who understands English, a foreign language. Wow. So that foreign language um, is a baby language. It comes here new. Um, it comes from another place where people have not stayed home. And we as native people of the Western Hemisphere have stayed home. And our exposure is that we can and have gone places, not physically, 
but we are, we are were and are able to to go to these places like in dreams, as you would would say, like in envisioning and in prayer, which we don't have in our language. And it's really, well, Czechia means to acknowledge relationship to all that is and to be conscious with that. And, and that's the language of being in the present. And I want to present those as who I am or earth becoming as I'm born and becoming earth uh, as I'm being born and becoming earth as I'm living right now and becoming earth when I, when I, it's time for me to go from this, this form said, I'm always becoming earth. There's no ending as there, there is no beginning. There's no conceptual time. Um, uh, uh, there's no temporal thinking is more spatial to think of things as a whole and to be inclusive of that. And it takes a lot of intelligence and I would say spiritual intelligence, which the gift of that is intuition. And as my mother would say that we cannot speak Lakota without intuition. And she's turning 90 next, um, March. And uh, that it's really good that we have these people around, because I think that when our elders, so-called elders, or Lala, or Unchi, and our grandfathers, and old people, and even even relations as trees and birds and animals disappear, they go into the future. So they they are they they go into the future, and <clears throat> we follow them. It's not that we we have a future if only we listen to the elders because they're not back there. They're ahead of us. They're they're dimensionally they're ahead of us. And so this is why I think native peoples all over the planet, indigenous peoples, listen to the elders because then the elders can tell you how to live here with earth, where if you have turned that around and you are the forefront and the ancestors are back there. And you have your you're stepping on children in front of us because they don't know which way to go. They may have a future, but only if they're behind us to watch us elders as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles. If they listen and observe and be shown by us rather than being taught instructionally, like in boarding school, they're shown in silence. Because in the older Lakota, I think that we were taught our value system all in silence and that and that means that means you you are in patience the way we started this recording out is that we took time to give presence to all that is listening to us even if it's in a room all that is taking and absorbing memory and a vibration from our capability to make sound and so this is what i i present as that's all part of me that's why i can't separate by saying I or me or my or mine or ours, mm. because it doesn't belong to me. I belong to all of that. And it's it's better, it's easier for me spiritually rather than to say I must own all of that and then protect it. Then I wind up getting in battles of, of mental property, uh, you know, physical property, ownership, domination, mm. and all of that. So I think um, the good word would be understanding domination as the main ingredient in in colonization because that was not exacting it wasn't it wasn't um wasn't here except that 
we as modern Native people accept it too easily. And we think, well, that's not how we were, because we're reading their history about who we are, Angelina. We're reading how they perceive us from 1492 on. But is it that we forgot who we are before 1492? I know it's there because I've been with people who remember generations before, 80 generations before, you know, because how long have you been um, enacting a ceremony mm. when that ceremony moves rather than a ritual that it belongs in a church? You do this first and that second. No, it's a ceremony. Ceremony moves and it doesn't need beads and feathers and smoke and all of that dressing up. It's just how you define and know and are comfortable with energy. And it's not a new agey thing, too, because this ceremony can only be invoked with the languages of this land of the Western Hemisphere, or those of us who haven't moved away from home as, as Western Hemisphere um, original peoples, <clears throat> First Nations, that we speak that language. That's what she's comfortable in hearing. Then the harsher language of English, which says, I own you, Mother Earth, and I'm going to do this to you, Mother Earth. And, and you know, and, and Native people feel that. We know when there's less fish, when there's less deer, when there's less food. We know that. It's almost inherently that we know this. Because if we lose that that sense of continuum of watching the sky and earth and water and winds, how much is left for that? that she we notice her as our mother because all mothers want to watch their children and if we're we're not allowing ourselves to be watched then then you know she's gonna like okay you're not my child anymore and so we're all misbehaving i could say that because i've been to everywhere every continent <clears throat> on earth been through many Visited many cultures, but doesn't mean I know their cultures, but I knew the, know the energy of where those cultures are. And in, I think we as indigenous peoples, even though we haven't moved and relocated, we're still here. We're still home. And that's what I mean. And I'm thanking you for helping me to become conscious of if we keep speaking our language, even though there's two of us left, that language is seeding right then and there. So I would say that in the origin stories of how my father explained um, the stars, that that's who I am, and all knowledge is what, what is above is below, right? And to exchange that vibration in the language where the, where the female spoke a female language and the male spoke a male language, and then when they brought it together, that was creation. And as a wakaheja or as that child or grandchild, Takoja, we all were once, we understand we are the energy of their creation, which is the energy of earth, intelligence of earth, the earth, wind, fire, and water. Uh, um, earth, wind, fire, and water, the elements, intelligence that live within us. And that's what we've been endowed with to always make sure that we give respect through ceremony to those four intelligent consciousnesses that live in us. But we cannot live in those separately. We can't live in stone. We can't live in water. We can't live in fire. We definitely can't live in when there's a tornado. Or we can't live in that wind. But all those elements live in us, and they make us intelligent. Only if we 
remember those ancestors that I just named. So there you go. Well, that that is, yeah, that, that captures it completely. And what I want to do is ask you to, you said, I mean, this book illustrated really well what you, you know, we had talked about when you went to the concentration camp. I want you to tell that story again, because I was there when I was studying at the University of Warsaw. We went to visit a number of different concentration camps. And and I was really emotionally impacted by the heaviness of what was what had happened there. And I decided to, I said, I'm going to just stay out here at the front. I'm just going to sit on this pile of, it looked like a little mountain, little pile of stuff. I said, I'm just going to sit up here and wait until the rest of the students came back. Till you go in, I just can't bear to go into the concentration camp. So I sat there. That's my story. Tell us about your story. When yes. <clears throat> Thank you again. So. Um, about 10 years ago, um, four Native people from the United States had accompanied maybe a 100 or so other peoples to Auschwitz and Birkenau um, and to the concentration camps that were the Jewish people were exterminated and also the other peoples that were exterminated, the gypsies and those who were um, I called them handicapped and insane and, and, you know, the wrong color or whatnot. Um, they too were exterminated. And I, I look, I think about all of that, you know, because I saw the evidence there of, of what happened, you know, the buildings and the feeling, the energy still there. And I, I can understand how it would be overwhelming in, <clears throat> you know, before that I always thought, well, Four native people in the Western Hemisphere. There's 125 million of us in in who were massacred or killed, but who's counting? So I think, well, where did this idea come from? So I went there with that question in mind. So when we went to Auschwitz and Birkenau, as we were walking through, um, probably we stayed there for ten days, probably four or five days in. The uncle that that I had there. Ask me, we stopped in the middle of Birkenau, which is a mile by what square mile. And he had asked me to, to sing, um, a pipe loading song. And so I, I start singing this song and I had noticed that our people, the people that came with us gathered around us naturally in a circle. By the way, that, that circle that I described, it was illegal for native people, at least in this, this country called USA to gather in a circle. It was against the law. And, and until in Canada. Canada yes. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um so we they gathered in a circle and we were in the middle and he was loading the pipe and I was singing the pipe loading song. And I noticed um because I'm taller than most of the folks there, I saw this herd of about twenty two deer um suddenly stop, look up and point their heads and ears towards our direction. And then I saw the birds stop flying and fluttering about, and they sat on the wires, and they too were not squawking or chirping or whatever they were doing. 
And then these four or five bunnies were also doing the same thing. They were they stopped nibbling and they were looking. And this is a big compound. And I, I noticed that and I like this is incredible. They're they're hearing, they're respecting this song that's hundreds of thousands of years old that talks about you know the directions um and how must how much that you know that we are here and we're still here saying these things because this is how much we respect the creation um and so when i got done they went back to being deer and birds and rabbits but at the end of the day angelina we we were so tired and we got back to the catholic retreat center and we just kind of like made ourselves comfortable on the lounge chairs there. And I immediately, I guess I was thinking, wow, I need to ask uncle if there's a word. Cause he spoke to old Lakota and he, and I asked him this, is there a word for domination in Lakota? And he said quickly, no word, no concept that got me to thinking, wow. So this language at least in Lakota, is a relational language. It's a very quantum physics language. It reaches out because it's all in verbs. And if we forget that we're, we should not be kowtowing or changing our languages to fit English, the language you and I are speaking now, that we can continue to to, to evolve and, and go through the dimensions of verbs and verbing that everything is alive. And that's freeing. And that's why they say the language of Lakota is frees you. And if you're understanding that relationship rather than ownership or domination, which forms hierarchy and wars and wrong and right and good and evil, and, you know, it just goes on and on. <clears throat> so the relational language is is important because that's what Earth and the species that I talked about, the elements, want to hear and actually want, want us to live in relation with earth, not in domination of earth. And and I think about that. What happens to too many deer? When there's too many deer, what does earth do? She calls the deer. She, you know, she makes sure that's enough and there, she gets rid of some, but not all. And I think that's the way of, of what we have to understand. She has her ways of maintaining balance. And if we're not talking, if we're not speaking a relational language, then what are we speaking? A language that is not of balance, but of domination. So this is part of understanding, you know, wow, these are, these are responsibilities that I think we maybe we're not, it's not, we're not conscious of, conscious of that we're, we're still in the Western mentality of being conscious. Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I dressing the right way? It's all based on good and ego, right? And it's tiring to think about all this, but I've been talking about this stuff since 30 years ago, and, and I'm still talking this way, and most of the times I don't get invited back because I'm saying these things that are at risk for many, especially Native people. No, he doesn't know he's not traditional enough, but that's okay. Someone has to do that, and not me. It's definitely because I, I'm just trying to make the. It always I've carried the message, which is much bigger than I ever will be, and that's how the radio program that I do for 31 years continues. And anything that that is put in front of me, I say yes to. And then if I can't do it, well, 
it, it comes out and says, yeah, it, it's maybe it's for somebody else. But I never stop trying and never give up. Um, and I'd like to to say that's because of our relations of, of people as Native people, how resilient we've been. And we didn't resist Earth. You know, we didn't. Earth didn't lie to us. Our languages come from Earth, and those languages should not be, we should not lie to ourselves, because that language of Earth didn't lie to us. But yet we picked up another way of deception. And um, if we could speak to our languages again, wow, how much that would be welcomed by Earth. Yeah, that that correct what you're saying, because it is really um, phenomenal. Like, And I think you have a story that I, I had heard you talk about that was talking about when your mother, when you, I think she was pregnant with you and she, she was walking through and, you know, there was a similar story I have of my, of my mom. I have, um, like I, I said to you before that I'm one of 16 children and one of the youngest, my mother, same as you, you know, back in the day, back, you know, my older brothers and sisters, we didn't have power, electricity, plumbing. And she was pregnant with one of my brothers. And it was in March that she was due. So in Canada, in March, it's not spring yet, <laughs> especially the northern part of Saskatchewan. So she walked, I think it was a couple miles to the midwife's home to deliver my brother. And in the snow and sleet. And that is resilience, right? That's that's resilience. That's that's why we thrive because we have that in our blood, that resilience. And when I think of my mom doing that, I just think of how sheltered I was when I was pregnant with my son. <laughs> you know, living in this house with heat and car seats with heat. Heats, heated seats, you know. I mean, didn't I didn't have to go on foot or dog team anywhere. Like we become sheltered, we become coddled, and I think if we continue in that that track, we become weaker. Because I think part of who we are as Indigenous people, it's the struggle that makes us strong. You know, otherwise we would just give up, but it's, it's a struggle. And, and we have a relationship with life. You know, we have a contract with life that we will thrive. And I think we continue in that, in that um, contract by surviving and thriving, no matter what they throw at us, you know, like Indian residential school, um, you know, infested blankets, and most recently, COVID, we're still here and we're still thriving. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of those tragedies that happened to us, <clears throat> I make that part of me because I hold responsibility for those people who became the per per perpetrator because uh -huh. we see in ourselves that we can also become that to ourselves. Uh -huh. And so yes. we, we do it to each other. 
you know, and <clears throat> I think this is a, the lesson to be learned is how we <clears throat> not to become that mindset. And so understanding that there's nothing perfect because there's really no concept for that, except for the dream that there is a heaven, because there, if there, with the heaven, you need a hell. <clears throat> that comes along with the religion, which we don't have, by the way, in our language. We don't have the word for religion, <clears throat> domination, ownership. It just goes on and on. <clears throat> so it's really important to understand how vulnerable we are um, and pristine in that spirit of learning to be resilient, like you described your mom. <clears throat> My mom walked three miles, as you say, like with no electricity, a car, a telephone. My dad and grandpa were out hunting and doing what they on horses what they did. So, but my mother and my older brother and my grandmother was at home at that time. They stayed home, and my mother didn't want me to be born or being taken away because they would learn that I was born illegally and the old ways of you know how the childbirth came naturally. So she wad waddled three miles to the Indian Health Service Hospital on that reservation. <clears throat> and there I was born. My father arrived. Um, the horse was out of breath. So was he. But I was held by a, a, a recent woman who, a woman who died recently that died. She died 102 years old. And um, she was, she understood that. So it was been an honor that she would hold me first. And then my mother and out of that came our, Thrivership, so to speak, <clears throat> is, is that, yeah, we went underground to keep our languages and our culture. So, but the creation understood that we will not lose that because if we lose our sanity with earth, we will lose our language. We will lose those ways because the, the tenacity of this language we speak, which is very warlike, aggressive, and it has conflict and antagonism. It always has doubt instilled in it, which is not how grandma and grandpa spoke. They spoke of full confidence that they knew how to. Somebody from Pine Ridge, um, a friend, said said to me, very blew my mind. He said, said Tioxin, though the white man is very efficient as, at killing that mindset. See, even we as Indians, in this case, can be a white man and learn how to kill efficiently. In fact, we learn how to be their types of soldiers. And, and so he said that white people, white men, white people know how to kill very well. They're very good at it. But he said, but the Lakota, we know how to die. And I think about that. I'm like, wow, if, if we're not. We're not trying to avoid dying because we're living. We're we're living. We're 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 living. How do you say it? And we're not using reality. We're living in reality. We're not using it to to prevent ourselves from dying. Where you see the system is trying to prevent itself from dying by speaking a hospicing mentality language. Wow. A hospicing modernity language. And I get that from my friend who actually lives in, in British Columbia, Vanessa de Oliveria, who's native from Brazil, who teaches at, you know, in the universities there. 
But she brought this fact up that, wow. And I thought through that. And I thought, well, you know what keeps us from from understanding why we shouldn't lose our language? Did I say that right? What keeps us, we have to understand not just to continue to speak a biophobic language that we're afraid of earth, we're afraid of nature. Nor we should we we or or we should understand that this language we're speaking between you and I is a present phobic language. It doesn't want to be here. It wants to be something better or needs to be in earth. I mean, be in heaven. And it doesn't want to be here. It's a future. Let's go to the planet and something better than what we have here. And and so as you were never here in a present, but the languages, and and I know is Lakota means that we need to be here to be present and in first person and and that contains a future and the past so if i am in on a spiral of continuum where there's no beginning and ending then i'm and if i walk backwards think about that it's kind of funny the notion of walking backwards into the future it means that i trust the future because i know what is in the past mm. Mm. You see, and that's unseen, and that's the mystery. That's our language that keeps the mystery present, present and conscious. Mm. And so, if we speak that language, then it's it's hard to struggle with it because we are being eaten from both sides, you know, of that that right and wrong, the dualism. Because we maybe we're the balance that the planet needs at this time, especially now mm. when Earth is being defined as climate change and i've been to the conferences overseas and other places that talking about climate change and i think jillian it's as being out of rhythm and not and forget and forgetting the earth the biophobic language is in place and forgetting about the rhythm that native peoples are losing now but that we we retain in a place that will will not lose the language of being in rhythm and in balance and i'll say that in sound like I'm pompous or whatever, but hey, that's my experience. Yeah. And and yeah, and I, I embrace that experience. Um, you know, and before we pivot and move into climate climate change, climate action, you know, in my language, I'm Dennis Lucene. Uh the old people I remember when I was a child, they would say they would they would uh, you know bang their hands on the table and they, they would go Bang, and then they would say "ja ja Herelia, ja ja Herelia," and it means "here, here is beautiful." Uh, so that kind of resonates with what you just said because hmm. they were saying, "This is beautiful here now," right? And yes. uh, so that's that's the power of the the language, you know. The you know when we look at language and. You know, I've always felt really proud of the fact that I understood my grandmother and my mom and my dad. We only spoke Dennis Lucene at home. And, mm. you know, and I was fortunate that my parents didn't go to residential school so that they kept the language. My father was a hunter and a trapper. And he was, you know, the you know, the stereotypical Indian that you see in your mind of the hunter who was just silent. Like he didn't talk much. He only talked 
when he was telling stories, right? Because yes. it's the stories that we pass on. And and he was vibrant and really animated when he told those stories. And uh, so we'd sit around the, you know, the fire outdoors and have some tea and he'll be telling these stories. And that's when he spoke. But most of the time, like, I don't remember elders gossiping. Yeah. Right. And even now, when I look at my older brothers, maybe my sisters gossip, but when I look at my older brothers, they're not gossiping. They don't talk about other people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because yeah, most of no. yeah. no, I love that. Go ahead. Yeah, because I mean the culture seems, you know, the the colonizing culture is is about, like you say, domination. So putting people down to elevate yourself. And so the whole whole uh, concept or context of gossip is to elevate yourself. Why else would you talk about somebody in a negative way, mm -hmm. but to show up yourself, right? Yep. And so none of the old people that I that I remember or maybe they just didn't do it in front of me, but I think they never gossiped. I don't think they did. And in fact, my dad, my mom was really bossy. She was like a sergeant, bossy, bossy lady. And she'd boss my dad around. And some people would see that and they'll say, your mom is so mean to your dad. You know, she makes them wash dishes. <laughs> Like different things like that. And one day somebody said to my dad, why do you just, why do you take that? She's so bossy and mean to you. And he said, she's who she is. That's it. He mm -hmm. is who she is. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Like it wasn't good or bad. It was just, she's who she is. And of course, you know, somebody that gave birth to 16 children, it's going to be a little bit like a sergeant because you have to control these kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Great stories that, I mean, I think this is part of who we are, that we, we forget story of oh. creation, creating oh. that, that, you know, the, the, the creating is what we do. And understanding there are certain words that we don't have in our languages that could lead us astray. From who we are, <clears throat> and um, what what can I say to that? But you know, which means that um, like when an elder speaks, I listen to him or her carefully, wow. and that's what I think I've done. And when, even when I thought, oh man, I'm not listening, and I like I should. I really did. I really did. And that that's what they speaking they're speaking through me and it's like I have no control but yes I do because that they, they spoke without gossip. They spoke without complaining. Yeah. They they know that they had to they were required to live and rather and rather hoping to live. Mm. They were required to live. Yeah. You know, we have the saying um which basically means is that have have I'm being humble because I want you to live in that way. I want you to live. 
and that that the 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 when we leave each other is not really splitting as you probably have the same thing is that <clears throat> when I say tokahe it means like I will see you again eventually <laughs> surely and it, there's never a breaking of that circle all, all the time so within that language is that we know the power of peace yeah. and that peace comes from the earth and not of men's or humans or women's minds because mm. that's a that's a mental junk thing that we think that we can create when it's all created for us anyway. Yeah. But that all we can do is in order to to make sure it's here is that we continue to speak that language of relationship. Yeah, I get that. I mean, when you were saying that, I kind of chuckled because when my brothers, when I'm talking to my brother on the phone, my older brothers, you know, that are <laughs> older. Mm-hmm. They don't say goodbye. They're talking. They say what they've said, and they finish, and then it's click. It's like what? You know? Yeah. They don't say goodbye. They just hang up, and then they'll call me later. <laughs> yeah. No manners. That's what no I've been told. But it's just no manners. Okay, I'm done talking. Okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't say goodbye. Yeah. It's not. Uh, yeah. uh, and I think even in the Dene language, there isn't a word for goodbye. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there isn't a word that I know of. I don't remember anybody saying goodbye. I mean, we say things like, you know, nabanatang, like we, I love you, you know, that type of thing. But there's no word that says goodbye and hang up, you know, mm-hmm. that they added on once, once we got colonized. And so they, mm-hmm. you know, the etiquette of the phone, right? You say hello and then you say goodbye. To finish yes. the conversation, but we didn't have that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm thinking too, even in, you know, I'm trying to recall like when I'm around the elders when I was young, like I don't know if they just got up and left without saying anything when they were done talking. I'm trying to remember, like, did they just get up and leave? You know, like, I don't, I don't remember. And I, and if I think of my mom, my mom was 96 when she passed. Um, and she was healthy and she was, her mind was solid. Like she was, she had a strong mind. She didn't, she, she didn't have dementia or anything. But what Mm -hmm. happened to her is she broke her hips. And when you're in your nineties and you break your hip, that becomes, you lose your independence, right? Mm. And so she ended up in the hospital because she lost her independence and her ability to live independently at home. But Mm. her mind was solid. And even though as she was getting older, her eyes were, were not as, she couldn't see as well, but her hearing was intact. And, you know, we'd come to visit her and she could recognize anybody's voice. She knew they were there. And her hearing was good. So she had her faculties, her hearing, and her mind. And that's the important senses, you know? And she had her heart, right? So, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Just, that's okay. Yeah, it's just a natural fo- flow of this conversation with you, Tyson. Mm-hmm. Um, so, before we're going a little longer than I usually go, but oh, okay. 
but I, it doesn't matter. I, I think there's no rules. Um, but what I want you to think about, you know, because I'm using this conversation to get to know you a little bit better. And you did tell the story of your father and the stars. And I'd just like you to repeat that story again, because I think it's so, it's such a strong imagery, you know, and, and the connection to Mother Earth. I mean, because Mother Earth, when, you know, when people say words, I always believe matter and how you speak matters. When you say Mother Earth, you're giving it it's a person, right? It's a person. Water is a person. The moon is a person. The sun is a person. It's not a it. And so when, when you're thinking about Mother Earth and when your father talked about the stars and, and showed you the stars when you were a four-year-old boy, I think that made an impression on you that lasted till now. Like, I mean, it's lasted your whole life and it carried you through your whole life. It was actually something that gave you strength. When I was four, um, there was not enough um, medical supplies or equipment in the local hospital. And so my father lay would lay on the outside in a mattress before he was to expire for the rest of his life. Is that, and I didn't know this at four that he was going to die. And so I would go lay on his chest outside and we'd look up in a clear blue South Dakota star, um, star, stars, and sky full of stars. And he, he, he saw me as I listened to his heartbeat and he was look, looking at the stars, the, uh, the, the, the relatives. Um, and so when, yeah, so when he said those things to me, he said, one thing that I remember is, is that's who you are. This is who you are. And that stuck with me in the cosmological sense that it, it was, you could close your eyes and you'd see the same thing. And to know that that was imparting the privilege of intelligence here on earth. In fact, we came here from those stars. And without a timeline, a beginning or an ending, we're still in a continuum of the stars. So when I took, I heard what he said, it, even that was the future, you would say of tomorrow for me, going through what I had to go through to get this far, that it, it was the backbone of, of why I'm here is because of the stars, is because of those words he echoed probably from his father. And his father, and on and on, because that's our story from as a Lakota people that we came from Pleiades, as they call it, but we call it Tayamnipa, <clears throat> and that those instructions follow us everywhere we go. So it's not too far off base to say that we came from the stars, because if you look at it scientifically as stardust, that's in fact how we got here. <clears throat> but to understand it in a quantum physics way. So science comes into the play as well as creation, <clears throat> as well as what intelligences came here, and am I enacting that in my later years? Am I actually becoming those stars in the points of knowledge that they are? 
in fact, to hear that through many cultures throughout the world, that we came from the stars. And many of us have the symbol of the eight-pointed star indicating Pleiades, like the Maori people, the the um, people that come out of Chile, um, uh, the indigenous peoples there, their people, um, even Palestine, they have this, they have the eight-pointed star. And you find that that story is similar. Um, and I think that, you know, in relationship, that's how I adapted to that story. Because I think about all those stars paying attention to who we are as humans. And this is why we have the name for ourselves as, <clears throat> as we chasha. Wichasha Akantu. Um Wichasha, Wicha is star and Sha means a gift. So we are gifts of the stars. We have no word for human being. Mm. But we Wichasha, we are gifts of the stars. And if we understand that, we understand the science of it, the relational science that we have within our language of quantum physics as Lakota. Um <clears throat> that we aren't here as human beings or nor human doings, that we are actually, we we come to bearing gifts because who wouldn't want to gift earth? So you give you give respect to earth because that's a gift. Mm. And we bring that because look what she gives to us to live here. And I talked about those four elements, earth, fire, wind, and water. It maybe it's understanding who we are as opposed to who we aren't and what we're missing. Mm. It's working on who we are and understanding, again, that Earth doesn't lie to us, but it seems like we're trying to deceive Earth and other peoples that we don't know what we're doing here. We're supposed to live, learn how to live with the Earth by not dominating Earth or any other species of living here. So, yeah. But, yeah, that's that's basically a story told different ways but still yeah 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 Yeah, the creation stories like are among many different uh, first nations right across turtle island and i think that when you're looking at um you know who we are and our responsibilities it's a good way to pivot into climate action or climate symptoms that are that earth is showing us you know um and the question that i want to ask you tyson is how do you reconcile the notion you know i come from well i mean i i'm from northern saskatchewan but i was raised in alberta northern alberta and that's oil country. It's mm. industry. And many of my family and people that I know worked in industry because they had to, to earn a living. Maybe they didn't have to, but it was, like you say, it was the easiest thing, right? So you work in the oil fields, you make a good living, you can buy your house, you can send your kids to university. But at what cost, right? The cost is the degradation of Mother Earth. So how do you reconcile the need for a livelihood 
and the desecration of lands. Well, how do I reconcile it is I don't. Because if you look at the etymology of reconciliation, it means to be quiet, to make one quiet. And it's that's we have to be aware of the language we use. And so climate change is coming out of the concepts and formulations of the Western language, saying that we're what they're really saying is that they're out of touch with the rhythm, rhythm of the earth. <clears throat> and as you know, that earth is she's only adapting um normally to an, an abnormal situation. <clears throat> and if we understand that, then are we in panic or are we adapting ourselves along with Earth rather than to adopt the plans to control Earth? So in and I asked some elders back home, do we have the um do we have the 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 formulation of of climate change, climate crisis? global warming, <clears throat> um, maybe it's not having a vacation spot to go to anymore in the Western way of thinking of like, we can't go there. So, you know, we're, we're making these excuses. Oh, there's a climate change happening because according to our history, there was an ice age, but they don't know. They only have, they take things apart to prove something. But in our stories that you just told, and our stories of where we came from, you know, and how we came here to this land. Everything changes all the time. But so you need a verb language, a verb language to say things are changing, and that's in rhythm. But if you use a noun language, which is subjective and objectifying, then it's, it's stagnating. And basically, there's no spirit to it. So if we speak these verbal languages, these verb languages, like you speak Dene and in you know uh, these indigenous languages is languages that are are verb based not noun based then it could be in rhythm of understanding oh yeah the the earth has shifted because maybe it's uncomfortable about who's living here and who's trying to control mother <clears throat> and you find that wow it we used a or not term of a microcosm and macrocosm when it's all real in relationship. So we're treating mother not in a good way, disrespectfully. So she's going to be uncomfortable and she's going to let us know. And she's letting us know with a bigger voice, bigger winds, bigger storms, bigger water, bigger fire, land shaking, all of that. So she's telling us, well, we better adapt because that's what's to come. And it's not a warning. It's just that this has been, been kind of, in when the climate change happened to us as Native people in 1492, the whole attitude had to change, and that's what it did. And yet there's resilience among us as Native people that, yes, we don't have to change because maybe we had something right living 200,000 years in balance with Earth as as compared to 5,000 years of imbalance of property and domination and non-relational language and the hierarchy and removing ourselves from the earth. So climate change to me is just saying it's a symptom because we don't want to actually go to the understanding of that we are out of rhythm with the earth. Yeah. And yes, there's going to, we, and that to me is also anthropocentric. We're only thinking about humans and not the other species that permit us to live here. 
that allow us to live here, that give generously the earth and intuition, the water, the air. It's given freely. She listens to us, meets all of our needs all the time. And yet we continue to try to, to adapt her to our needs rather than us adapting ourselves to her needs. I think that's primary. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's good. Yeah. Exactly. I know what you're saying. And I, and I, I think so, you know, like what I was looking for is, you know, the people in the North where I'm from that are around industry they feel they did, they don't have any choice because if they want to live, they need to make money. And in this in this climate of monetary exchange for for stuff, they need to go into the mines and work the mines. Like they don't think they have a choice, yeah. right? But what I'm hearing you say is, you know. There's no way to reconcile that unless you just don't do it and find a different way for livelihood, right? Yeah. That, that's mm-hmm. what you're saying, right? Because, you know, they, and, you know, and I really do feel for them because they, they feel pride in, you know, mm-hmm. getting that house, getting those really big trucks, <laughs> cars, you know, and university education, all paid by industry. In fact, industry in our area pays us, pays the members when they come to meetings, and that's their way of showing consultation, right? We consulted with you because we gave you money to be at that meeting. And so they look at as it's okay what they're doing because you were at the meeting and you got paid, so you're endorsing that industry. But it's, I think it's a really difficult, difficult thing to grapple with. I mean, it's simple to say, well, just don't do it. But if you, if you need to, and Fort McMurray, where I'm from, is really expensive, like the housing expensive the gas is expensive, like everything is really expensive there. So they feel justified in working in industry, even though it's, it's denigrating the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we can, you're to me describing our separation that we're always going to be speaking a in in panic, in a um, scarcity language, because the way you grew up and when you're very young and the way I did, there was no such thing as scarcity, neither poor or rich, right? And everybody helped each other. Even the tree helped us, you know. The water helped us, so we we give appreciation back for that. It's basically simple, but it's very complex in a language that only knows how to take. You know, what did, what's your, what are you Indians going to give to us? You know, it wasn't yours. You weren't doing anything with the land, but I can speak in that, that, you know, and commiserate, look for commiseration in that. But when I think about, okay, what about these generations <clears throat> that don't have the language and their, their recognition? Earth recognizes us and she's going to notice like a mother who, who is listening to, to mother. 
So when 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 a lot of children are listening to mother and we're kind of off in our own little abstract space out there somewhere defining our religions as this is the way it is, you know, there's 4,000 organized religions that all do deal with dogma and the words that come under that, mm. you know, and there's only one spirituality. And we're forgetting that one. And that's the common one amongst us all. No one can really define what that is except if you're living it. Because when you define, become to define what spirituality is, then it isn't. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's powerful words. Right? Thank I mean, you. And, it, and it's, you know, it's shifting the paradigm and the way we think always gives us power. And, and I think what I'm hearing from you is shifting it to recognizing the reciprocal nature that we have with mother earth, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, the, she gives us, you know, food, water, shelter. Mm -hmm. And what do we give it? Yeah. Right. We should be giving it honor. Like I know when, when I'm picking, even from my garden, I always put some plant, tobacco down and give thanks to the, to, you know, to the garden for, for feeding me. And, and even to move from that to houseplants, I have a lot of houseplants, but when I pick them up to move them somewhere, I always tell them, don't get worried. <laughs> I'm just moving you to a sunnier place or a warmer place. I talk to them that way because they're alive. Everything's mm -hmm. alive, you know? And when I'm sitting outside and looking at the trees, I just, I always say to the tree, like, you know, you've lived 30 odd years. You're so strong and so beautiful out there, you know? Like, just having that, you know, connection to Mother mm -hmm. Nature and mm -hmm. recognizing it's alive. Right. Yeah. And talk to it as a person, because mm -hmm. that's the way we communicate. I mean, and we I mean, we can communicate with it silently and they'll still hear yeah. because they feel. And that's actually, right. trees are really intelligent because they have a network that goes. I forget how many miles <clears throat> they talk to all the other trees. It's like their own form mm -hmm. of Internet. They tell the other trees you know, this is the time we change our colors. And that's why they all change around the same time, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're communicating with, with each other. Mm -hmm. They help yeah. the, the, um, the young trees grow by providing the sun, like moving their branches over so that the little yearlings can get the sun, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think people just don't realize how sophisticated trees mm -hmm. are. And their intelligence are so great. And so just to recognize that is important. Yeah, it, it totally is. I like that, what you told that story of the tree. Um, the chant, chante, is, uh, I can take a risk here by saying that we don't have a heart. <clears throat> As Lakota people, it's like, but that's my thought because I'm in the present of it. Cha is tree or tree-ing. Oh. Is and we say te is part of the living, so it's a living tree. -ing, and that's our heart, 
Because mm. the heart is, you know, branching out into nerves and, mm. you know, arteries and things. So that that's the same thing. The brain goes up, you know, all that. <clears throat> and and if we think about, you know, how in in speaking the differences is is that there must be a tree roots consciousness. Because those shallow thinkers would say grass grassroots mentality. And those grassroots only go so far. But tree roots consciousness is deep, yeah. at least in this, this land, uh, Turtle Island. So that's where we come from. It's going to take a, a long time to to dig those roots up. Mm. And besides, we this is, like you say, this is who we are. Yeah. This, if I could say, this is who we are. This is who we aring, the verb of it. Mm. And it starts understanding that, yeah, that tree that's sitting outside my window is listening to this conversation because it can, you know? And that's what we're leaving out of relationship. And that's what we're not understanding climate change is, that they're adapting you know, when we, we, during that year of COVID, we left it alone for that yeah. year and it all came back. Mm. We left it alone. We, our ideas weren't put on it. We became pundits of despair. And, you know, we, we were only worried about human things that we couldn't do things mm. yet. People were walking more so than ever with masks on. And I get it, but. You know, there's that knowledge that's been brought forth to, to make fear out of everything. Mm. But I wasn't because I worked out of intuition. And intuition doesn't have fear. Mm. Yeah. So to work from that is the language. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that That's that's clear to me. I, I get what you're saying. And mm. so as we kind of go through to wrapping up, um, what I often ask my guests, and it doesn't matter how old they are, young or old, because sometimes I've asked this to a younger person and they say, oh, I'm still young. I can't answer that. I haven't even thought of that. But <laughs> but I don't think it matters how old you are. But what is the legacy you're leaving behind? You know, what is the legacy of change you are leaving behind? And do you see it? Evolving, changing. What do you hope to to create in your legacy? Mm. So, if I can use somebody else's thought processes, which really helped me to to understand what I need to say this time, is an, in a um, elder <clears throat> or an older person of the Cree who moved from from Canada to Michigan, and their family thinking it would be less or more warm to Michigan, but it really wasn't. So then they moved down to Mex New Mexico. But <clears throat> and then he lived, he grew up in New Mexico, uh, Mexico, and then came back to New Mexico. And now he works out of there. And he's probably 80 something by now. And he said something uh, in an interview that I did with him. He said that if you want to see the results of your work within your lifetime, then you are not worth the people that you come from. So I say that in light of, I want to see the continuance and that, that we went through the water across, 
across the water together instead of building a bridge to escape the struggle. We had to to extract minerals and, and earth and all that and reform it and destroy earth in order to make the bridge, that mentality. So what I say is, you know, we need to continue how to learn how to live with earth. And when I'm finished at this dimension here, is that I will become the rain, I'll become a, an atom in, in the earth, because it's all energy anyway, that, that people start recognizing how much we're missing by not being in the present. Yeah, I like to say that we are exactly what you said. We are we are the rain, we are the wind, we are the sun, because without that, we wouldn't exist. So it's within us. All that all of those elements are within us because we're here. And it's with because of their gift that we're here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's brilliant what you said. And Mm. I I really, really enjoy that that concept. That concept. Um, mm. So, I, you know, there's so much we could talk about, and you know, the thread that I'd like picking up through our conversation is when you talk about the dimension, the different dimensions, reality, the different dimensions. I guess you're speaking more in a. Uh, um, I guess it's physics or quantum physics, but I would like at some point to have another conversation with you on that, because yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about that. And, and I read a little bit in your, in your writing about that, but I want to have a conversation about that. So I will be inviting you back. Okay. That's great. You haven't scared me away. Oh, good. Good. That's great. I like what you I like yes. what you say, and I'm really open to hearing more about, you know, what you could say to me and what mm-hmm. I could learn from you, because yeah, that's the relationship that we have right now. That's great. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, people don't have to believe me. They can go look this stuff up, do the research, but I don't think you learn how to live, because up until 60 or so, you learn how to research, and then after sixty or so, you you learn how to live. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because yeah. you're not like trying to find out who am I, what am I doing here, purpose. Yeah. You're just like, ah, oh, I'm living. Yeah. And so with that, with that, just to just to just to give you a little um, peek, a preview of what we could be talking about next time is that you know you probably read this that Einstein in 1930 entered the Hopi country. And he went among the Hopi and spent, I think, weeks there. I'm not too sure, but in his in his in his um, diary, he said basically in his papers he said that he's been all over the world by that time and studied and been with different cultures, societies, civilizations. And he said, he said these native people because they were remote and maybe some of them didn't even see a book and never had the education of, of the West. And so in that desert, he encountered 12 year old children. This is paraphrasing 12 year old children of the Hopi. 
were the most prepared to understand the theory of relativity because they were living it. Mm, well, that's a nice teaser. And we can, so that's, so listeners yeah. will be able to, to hear that uh, in the next episode that we record. Um, and I'm really honored that, that you accepted my invitation. I never take it for granted when I reach out to somebody and they accept my invitation to come onto this podcast. I'm always so grateful that they said yes, you know, and, and you said something earlier that you're at the point where you're saying yes to things and that's living because it's not stopping you from, Oh no, I can't do it because I'm too busy. I'm, you know, this, and you create all the, excuses to not do it but mm -hmm. i don't take that for granted because Great. there are people that are too busy <laughs> and they mm -hmm. and they use that as an excuse not to open their mind to have a conversation that will be really impactful we don't know who's listening and mm -hmm. you know you had a radio show before so you know the reach that you can have with these types of conversation and who knows how you're impacting other people out there in a positive way, right? You're lighting a candle in them, a light in them, right. and they are, and it's up to them to keep it burning. But mm -hmm. for the time being, you've ignited something in the listener and you, certainly in me. <laughs> and I'm, oh. and I will definitely, you know, once you've completed your book, I know it's still in the process. It's been a long process, but it's coming. So make sure you give me a, a link to it as soon as it's published, because um, I will be buying it. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll send one to you when it's out. So, yes, but thank you in this honor to be on your, your podcast, your radio show. And, yeah, let's continue. And thank you for the conversation. And I'm still here. You're still there. And yeah. here we are. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, thank you. Merci, ciao. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye.